0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guests today are Dr. Lawrence G. Calhoun and Dr. Rich Tedeschi. The topic today is dealing with traumatic loss. Dr. Lawrence G. Calhoun and Dr. Rich Tedeschi are professors of psychology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and specialists in trauma and bereavement. They have written numerous articles and books in this area, including Trauma and Transformation in 1995, Post-Traumatic Growth in 98, Facilitating Post-Traumatic Growth in 99, Helping Bereaved Parents in 2004, and most recently, The Handbook of Post-Traumatic Growth. They teach undergraduate and graduate courses in a variety of clinical areas. Their professional practice has been focused on individuals and couples coping with highly challenging life circumstances. In addition, Dr. Tedeschi has facilitated parental bereavement groups since 1987. Welcome to the show, Lawrence and Rich.
1: Thank you. This is Rich. Uh, my colleague Lawrence will be here shortly to join us.
2: Uh, Lawrence is a teacher, right? And he's That's a- right. Getting out of his
1: class. I'm getting out here. of his last class, where <laughs> students are doing presentations. So, Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh, that's
2: that's <laughs> and, difficult.
1: I have to consider that.
2: <laughs> well, Rich, um, I was very excited when I read about, um, yeah, and Heidi and I both were, when we read about your information, the things you had, and, and asked you to be on the show, because uh, the idea of post-traumatic growth is really a different thing for us, isn't it, Heidi?
0: It, it is, and it's exciting to hear about pro, post-traumatic growth and resilience and positive aspects of grieving because we so often focus on the pathology and the negative parts of of grieving and having a loss or a trauma.
2: Absolutely, and but hang in, you people who are newly briefed out there with us today, because we are going to talk about about how tough it is. Also, we're not mm-hmm. just going to talk about the growth aspects of it. So, um, could you tell us how you got into this, Rich, and into this, this field, or?
1: Well, um, I uh, was invited by a colleague of mine who works for an agency here in Charlotte called Kindermorn uh, to facilitate uh, brief parent groups. This was back in 1987, as you mentioned. Um, and I didn't consider myself uh, really equipped to do that. I said to her, you know, I'm, I don't know how much I have to offer. I don't really know too much about that. I just started some of my research on trauma and whatnot uh, about that time. And she says, Oh, I think you'd, you'd do well with this. And indeed, I've been doing it ever since. And uh, I've found that uh, being a good listener is the key. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've done is simply pass along what uh, parents have told me over the years about their experiences. I feel like I'm just kind of a conduit to all the stories I've heard and uh, all the things that parents have told me about uh, what's been helpful and, unfortunately, what has not been helpful in many times, too.
2: Now you, you know, I think uh, um, there's a special thing about people who can hear this kind of thing, and I think maybe your past uh, childhood experiences. You were saying that you had a parent die.
1: Yes, my father died when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's unclear to me sometimes how how that might be related to my um, you know my interest in bereavement and growth. But uh, certainly, it's made me my work has made me reflect back on those times and what that was like for me. Uh, as a teenager, going through uh, losing my dad. Mm-hmm.
2: So that sounds like another show we ought to do with him, Heidi. Yeah, that would
1: be a very good one.
2: Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about post-traumatic growth?
1: Well, uh, it's it, it's a concept that simply acknowledges, uh, with this kind of psychological term that we coined, um, something that has been recognized for the, the millennia, uh, and that is that uh, tragedy and trauma... Uh, change people, certainly, and sometimes change people in ways that they can look upon later as beneficial and valued. Um, it's not that trauma is a good thing or loss is a good thing, uh, but in the aftermath, as people try to cope with these things, uh, they discover some things that they might not have recognized before or or live in some ways that they uh, might not have... Um, considered before their loss. Uh
2: Now, you actually did research where you interviewed people Mm -hmm. about these aspects, right? And what did you find? I I think, um, what, 48 females and 6 males in one of your studies, was that right?
1: Well, we have done a lot of studies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our first studies had to do with uh, widows uh, who were in their, um, generally they were in their 70s when we interviewed them. Uh, Also another group of people who had suffered uh, physical disabilities in adulthood comparalyzed paralyzed or blind. And we've done some studies on bereaved parents uh, and many other kinds of traumas, actually,
2: all kinds So, of so what have you found, say, particularly with the parents uh, as far as um, their journey goes?
1: Well, you know, talking to a bereaved parent about growth is a bit of tricky business. Uh, you certainly can't suggest to anyone uh, that... Um, Losing their child was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's absurd, of course, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about after having to cope with this and go through all this. Have you have you recognized any sort of changes that you think of as positive? And now,
2: how far out would people be from a loss before you ask them that?
1: Well, in our sample, there was a it was varied. Um, some people were a year out. Some people were ten years out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of individual differences in terms of how quickly changes occur in the aftermath of, of loss, as you know, it, you know. People have all different trajectories in that regard.
0: Right, because I, I would think you'd really have to work through the pain, you know, the suffering, the the grief, before you could get to the growth.
1: Well, generally, yes, but surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, there are a few people. Now, this is this is just a few But a few people who told us that, for example, um, right after their child died, they decided that they were going to have to make something positive come out of all of this Mm -hmm. so that their child's death would not be in vain, so that they could um, take this and somehow change it into some kind of contribution or something useful. Um, So there are people who might decide such a thing, very early on, and then there are other people who just kind of stumble into their changes as a result of just trying to survive. So uh, it was
0: almost like their grief became active rather than passive.
1: Well, this is something I think is very common among people who can later report post-traumatic growth there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have found ways to approach their grief, to use their grief, um, to make it something that goes beyond their pain and their personal experience, uh, something something maybe more universal to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading in something that you said that people that had been through this were, in one study, stronger, more competent, more mature, more independent, and better able to face other crises.
1: We have found uh, from people's reports that there are five different areas of growth that, that people talk about. One is uh, something I think you mentioned, Heidi, before the break, um, a sense of personal strength. Uh, I'm stronger than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, a second is the recognition that there are maybe new opportunities in life that, or new possibilities that I wouldn't have recognized uh, before, taking life in a new path, new direction. A third is deeper relationships with others. Um, a fourth is a greater appreciation of life, the value of life, how precious it is. And the fifth is um, spiritual development.
2: Wow, uh, those, are, those are pretty amazing. I, I'm just thinking, could you email us those or, or a little something about it so we can put it on our blog after the show?
0: You bet. Because I know
2: people are going to want to know those aspects.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I agree. They're very interesting. So um, what about those folks who are now saying, oh, my, I'm only bereaved a year and he's talking about all this or I'm under a year or... You know, um, what would you say to them? I know you've worked with uh, bereaved parents.
1: Well, uh, one thing I'd say right off is that um, to have an expectation of growth in the aftermath of this is may not be very helpful. Uh, and we are certainly not saying in our work that, um, that everybody experiences this growth or that it's important that everybody should. Um, just surviving things like this is plenty. Uh, recovering and getting back so that you can live uh, is plenty, um, and sometimes this growth is, um, you know, the kind of unexpected benefit that can come along as well.
2: Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about when uh, when you were reading those was, okay, it's okay for me to look at the areas, but I could say then to my spouse, you should be doing this. Look at what you could mm-hmm. be doing. You could be growing in these areas.
1: Well, you know, again, that's that's the thing that uh, you find in, in couples and all bereaved people that it's so it's so personal and individual. Everybody has a different reaction and experience to these things and certainly even within couples there's gonna be great differences in the grieving process and you know the perspective that people take. So uh, you know, one spouse can't expect the other to uh, have a have a growth experience uh, similar to theirs either. Um, so again, you know, there has to be respect for the, the individual differences in these things.
2: Yeah, great. Give us, talk to us a little bit about your earthquake.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a, that's kind of a metaphor we use for uh, post-traumatic growth, uh, saying it's kind of like a psychological earthquake. And, you know, losing someone you love is can be like that in terms of you the, the whole structure of, of your beliefs, of, of how you think life is going to go and what kind of person you are and how the world works can really kind of come tumbling down, mm-hmm. just like an earthquake shatters buildings. And, yeah, uh, I,
2: I thought that was such a good analogy because it's so, so hideous, so tremendous to lose someone that you love.
1: Yes, and, and you have to then rebuild after that. You have to figure out what what's the new way I'm going to look at the world. What, what beliefs do I have now in the aftermath of all this, and, and how can I have a, a way of seeing things, a way of believing that will withstand future shocks.
0: And and who am I without this person in my life?
1: That's right. That's one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that may be one of the things you never really considered could happen, and it really can challenge your whole sense of self and identity.
2: Yeah, and I know you talk about um, who am I is one question, and then what is my life story? You know, Heidi and I talk a lot on the show, and, and I think this is part of what our show is about, is giving people the opportunity to look at their life story.
1: We think that's really important, and you know one of the ways you could really tell with people uh, whether they've experienced a trauma is, is to talk to them about their life story and if they kind of divide it uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: into the before the, this event and the after this event, you know it's really traumatic. Oh I love
0: that because I went to a workshop and the speaker there said to us, "If your life was a book, how many chapters would it look like and what would it set? What would it look like?" And I said it would have two chapters, before Scott's death and after.
1: There you go. That's,
0: that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, many people tell us about, about that division that they make.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: could you talk a little bit about um, the commonalities? You were saying uh, during break, actually, that there are a lot of commonalities between uh, having a child die, having a spouse die, um, and those kinds of losses. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Well, the uh, the whole processing that people have to go through uh, the rethinking of things is a common aspect to, to this, uh, to all kinds of losses, um, just like I was talking about with the earthquake metaphor a moment ago, uh, having to kind of rethink um, how you proceed, who you are, what you, what kind of relationship you have with this person that has died. Uh, we were talking during the break about the idea of continuing bonds and continuing relationships. And, um you know, what, what will that relationship look like? Um, these are the kinds of questions that people have. And then, as I mentioned a few minutes ago... When you
2: say that relationship, you, what you're saying is um, that the relationship you continue to have with the deceased person. That's right. Right. Like, That's, I think we should make that clear with the audience. because yes, yes. There is a continued relationship.
1: Right. Like I mentioned, my father died when I was a kid. I still feel like I have a relationship with him even though it's decades ago.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you more about that. When you've been talking along, I've been thinking about your own situation. I was going to ask you, do you think that you're different, and have you seen any growth in your own life as a result of losing your father as a teenager?
1: You know, it's been so long ago, it's hard to get a perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, you know, as, this is all in retrospect. I, I look back, and I, it certainly changed me Suddenly, my home life became very different. Um, my father uh, had died. My mother got uh, quite ill uh, afterwards. And my sister had gotten married recently. So, so- suddenly, I was pretty much by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the family had sort of dissolved in some ways.
0: So maybe you had to develop
1: some coping mechanisms that you didn't have initially. That's right. I think I, you know I had to take care of myself in a way mm-hmm. that I hadn't done before.
2: Well, I'm thinking it was, who am I? You, you were an only child in a way then.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean. now
2: what is my life story? And,
0: and probably right. very parentified if his mother was sick and his father was dead.
1: Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I, I think that, that changed me in some ways. And, you know, I, I and it was around that time that I was uh, getting ready to go to college. And, you know, I decided to go to college in psychology. And I just have to wonder whether that might have been a little part of that picture, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, I very well could have. Um, now do you have a website?
1: Yes, we have a website. Um, it's um, www.ptgi.uncc.edu. Wow,
2: you know what folks? You can send you can ask us for it and we're, it's also on our blog so you can um, get it from there. And yeah. Rich,
0: a quick question for you when I looked, when I'm thinking about this book, Yes. Will this book help bereaved parents that don't feel like they have any post traumatic growth in their lives to well, learn how to get it? Does yeah.
1: that make sense? Well, um, it, it's a book that is uh, that describes the process of, of of how people can be helpful uh, to parents who have lost children, right. um, and it can it can be a especially useful book for. Uh, people working in the field of uh, you know, counseling, uh, or chaplains, or nurses, or anybody who has you know contact with with bereaved parents.
0: So if our parents out there feel like people don't understand what they're going through, friends aren't getting it, and they don't understand, and they haven't been there, can they give them this book? And it sounds like this book will help people understand what you are going through.
1: Well, I certainly hope it has that effect. Very good. Uh, it's um, and again, as I've uh, said before, I think before we came on the show, I feel like I'm a I'm a conduit for, you know, what bereaved parents have, have told me in the past and so a lot of that's in the book, what what parents have said.
2: Oh that's great. So I would suggest that you might want to get that book, helping the bereaved helping bereaved parents. Right. Um could you talk a little bit about the groups you were running with parents?
1: Well, uh, there are basically two kinds of groups. One is a uh, time-limited group, we usually do about six weeks. That is, um, now, who
2: do you do this through? In case there are some people in Charlotte. Yeah, this is through
1: this is through Kindermorn. Okay. Uh, and this is a, a nonprofit organization in Charlotte, a private nonprofit that uh, has uh, was started by bereaved parents uh-huh. um, twenty six years ago now, and. Uh, we we use uh, professionals to uh, provide services to children and uh, adults and families who are bereaved, and uh, the adults we uh, particularly uh, specialize uh, in, in our work with as uh, bereaved parents. And uh, the groups uh, can be either um, these short, time-limited groups, uh, usually about six weeks, where we talk about different topics in bereavement and how to... Um, kind of get yourself through the initial phases of this situation. And then we have uh, long-term open-ended support groups. Uh, and these are the things I've done more often. Um, and um, these are just ongoing open groups. People join, people finish in their own time, and other people join along the way, and they just kind of roll along.
2: So what do you find as some of the biggest pitfalls for parents or the, or the biggest issues for parents who've lost children? And do you find it different? I was thinking, uh, as far as post-traumatic growth was concerned, I was thinking, what about homicide, suicide? Um, I know with homicide, a lot of people are going to court and all those kinds of things. So there are a lot of anger issues. Yeah. And uh, Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, uh, two pitfalls come to mind. Uh, one is just what you're talking about there. If there are... Um, Legal issues to be dealt with, uh, if there's problems with, you know, maybe some medical malpractice or there's a homicide or uh, there's insurance problems or any of those things can kind of hold up the grieving process to some degree, I think, as, as people are having to concentrate on this nasty stuff in the aftermath of the loss. And then the second thing I think is problematic, and, you know, as I think about it, probably half our time in our support groups may be devoted to talking about how to get along with other people in the aftermath of this loss, people who may not understand, people who unwittingly say and do things that aren't very supportive, uh, people who are disappointments, uh, don't come through with support in the aftermath of the loss. That's a, that's a pitfall, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've had guests come on that have said, you know, you have to teach people how to be good grief support people. Yes. Because people don't know what to do or what to say, and so sometimes we have to teach them what we need. We have to ask them for what we need sometimes.
1: That's right, and you know, this is one of the ways in which I've seen growth in terms of um, you know some bereaved parents. For example, I can recall parents who became kind of advocates for the bereaved uh, through our organization by being speakers, or in their workplace by starting to educate people in the workplace about how to how to treat uh, employees were bereaved.
2: You know, I actually, I was a um, psychiatric nurse consultant to the University of Rochester at the hospital there, and I actually went into my daughter's, my my daughter was 14 when our son was killed, and I went into school and did an education thing for probably three years because I just couldn't stand the, the way people were behaving.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: And, and it's interesting. People will, you know, they're pretty nice. They'll let you come in and do some things like that. Mom,
0: who were you educating at the time? Were you educating Heather's friends? Or yeah, the
2: class. Basically, well, what happened was I um, went back to school night, and the uh, math teachers uh, said Heather wasn't able to compute. This was like uh, two months later. And uh, I said, well, she her brother died, you know, and he said, well, we've all had family members die. Oh, mm. my
0: gosh. And so it was the teachers you were talking with?
2: Yeah, uh, both. I did the
0: teachers and the students. Very good. Yeah. I just wanted to ask, Rich, what differentiates those who have post-traumatic growth and those who don't?
1: This is uh, an issue we've been trying to untangle in our research for a while. And uh, there, there, are various, uh, there are various factors involved in this, but one thing I can certainly highlight is the idea that support from others which allows people a extended time to tell their story and to be listened to, is really important in all of this. Because if you have time to tell the story of this and to kind of rethink it, um, then you're going to be more likely to come upon some perspectives that are new to you and different and represent some ways you can change, some of the unexpected ways you can change. So you really need a good listener.
2: Mm, and and by the way, these groups like Compassionate Friends and the groups you mm. aren't run, uh, I think, are really important, don't you, Rich?
1: That, oh, absolutely. You know, in our in our groups, we hear time and again, this may be the the only place I can really say the things that are on my mind and in my heart, and that involves sometimes saying things that people don't feel very good about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parents, for example, saying things like. My my daughter was uh, addicted to drugs and was living a horrible life. And I have to say that in some ways it's a relief that she died because she's not going through what she was going through. Right. You know, and that's not something that someone can feel comfortable saying outside a group of brief parents. It might have been hard to say that among other other brief parents, but these groups are so open to ideas and to feelings that people can get down and to talk about things like this.
2: And really tell their story and talk about who they're angry with and they can sure. be angry with their spouse or their other children. Or, I don't or know, angry what is,
1: with the child that died.
2: We're absolutely, mm-hmm. and angry with the child that died. And how about siblings, Heidi?
0: I was just going to say that I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that in the article that I wrote, which you can get from the website um, this month, called Sibling Bereavement and Continuing Bonds, I did talk about growth. But we talked about it as psychological growth. And there has been about half a dozen studies done, many of them by Betty Davies, on positive aspects of, of growth that children have had, being, like Rich that being more mature, valuing life more, um, you know, those kind of things have been seen also in children. So if you want to know more about those studies and what has been done, log on and you can download our artic- my article from the website and, and read more about that.
2: And I think this is important for parents to know because they worry so much
0: Absolutely. after their
2: children die about the other siblings and they need to know that good that, you know, kids are able to go on yeah, and lead productive lives.
0: Right. They become more mature. They have a deeper appreciation for life. They express affection more towards people. They have greater purpose. I mean, these are just a few of the things that have been found.
2: And, Rich, um, mm-hmm. you're a perfect example of how kids do go on and are resilient after the death of a parent.
0: Abs- yeah. Well, thank you. I yeah, hope, hope so. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Now, it's uh, t- almost time for our show to close. Could you tell us, if you had some advice for parents, what would it
1: be? Well, I, I think the most important thing is to be charitable with oneself. Um, this is so hard, and um, trying especially to meet especially
2: other... if you're back in that area where you say, "Could I have done this? Could I have done that?"
1: Oh yes, the, all the all those potential regrets and second guesses. Um, you know, it's it's understandable that people will think those things, uh, but. Um, you you have to allow yourself to be a, a flawed human being, and um, to try to meet other people's expectations in, in in the midst of your grief is is not very helpful. Um, you know, people expect you to be one way or they were they expect you to be who you were before, for example. Mm-hmm, right. And you really can't be. Yeah. So you know, being charitable with yourself and being patient with this whole process because it takes it takes longer than people realize. You know, people have these ideas, oh, it's going to take six months or a year or something like that. You're really looking at a whole process of years as you move through this. And, and, and there's no one particular way to do it, one particular path. It's very confusing and messy. So being charitable with oneself I think is important and being patient.
2: And we want you to know that uh, our message is a message of hope today. That these things just happen. You do go through. If you, you know, when you experience growth, it just happens. You don't make it happen. It, it's part of the process of life.
1: That's right. It is. It is kind of a side benefit that can surprise you. Uh, and it's. And certainly, people are just trying to survive uh, their grief. They don't usually go into the aftermath of the, their loss with, a, with an idea of growth. They're just trying to to make it, right. and, um, you know, the fact that we're talking about growth here can maybe highlight for some of the listeners um, some things that they might not have considered before, and they say, you know, actually, I, I do see these changes in myself, and that could be helpful, you know, giving... That's uh, why yes, basically. don't Yes, that you don't expect, but it can be helpful to see that as uh, some antidote to some of the pain.
2: Absolutely. Well, listen, it's time to close our show now, and I want to thank uh, Rich Tedeschi for being on the show.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.